0: welcome to arise church where we exist so that you can experience god i pray that this message will encourage inspire and grow your faith in god enjoy the message
1: all right dr brown there we have it so the truth has been revealed we just watched it on video And I will quote Matthew Vines. He said, The Bible never addresses the issues of sexual orientation or same-sex marriage. You're the theologian in the room. You're the scholar. What would you say to that?
0: Well, I I hate to argue against a YouTube video because if it's on the internet, (laughs) it must be true, right? Number one, the Bible does not address the issue of, quote, sexual orientation because that's not the issue. The issue is what do we do with our attractions and desires? The issue is behavior. And that's what the Bible explicitly forbids, clearly, definitely, as we'll see Moses, Jesus, and Paul all explicitly forbid sexual acts between the same sex. Not not only so, God gives us the pattern for marriage in the Bible. So there are only a few passages, there are a little bit more than six, but these principal ones that explicitly address Uh, same-sex behavior and same-sex acts because the pattern for marriage is established at the beginning. God made us male and female, then called male and female to be fruitful and multiply. So a heterosexual marriage is the only one that can naturally multiply. Every human being is born of a male and a female. And then the second chapter, God takes the woman out of man. She's called Isha, woman, because she's taken out of man, Ish. And then when they come together, Adam says, this is at last bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, the two become one. They once were one, now they become one again. Man plus man, woman plus woman can never equal man plus woman. So the rest of the Bible presupposes heterosexual marriage. Uh, Every single passage dealing with it, every parable, every law, everything. Honor your father and mother. Husbands, love your wives, wives submit to your husbands. Everything is heterosexual marriage, and then every so often, it condemns same-sex marriage and behavior. Here's an interesting thing, and I don't say this to belittle a same-sex couple in a loving relationship, but you're reading the Bible, and you're reading Ephesians 5, husband, love your wives, wives submit your husbands. Which one's the husband, which one's the wife? The the manual that you're reading is presupposing heterosexuality throughout. So the whole Bible is telling you what marriage is in God's sight.
1: You had a great illustration about sugar in a cookbook that you shared before. My friend
0: Larry Tomczak used this illustration. That I, I write a book, Healthy Dessert Recipes. And at the beginning of the book, I tell you what's unique about this book is we have wonderful, tasty recipes. But sugar is not found in any of them because we don't believe sugar is healthy. So we use dates. We use other natural sweeteners. But throughout this whole book, you won't find sugar used at all. And you read through all the recipes, and then you do a search, and you found, wow, the word sugar is only used five times just in the introduction. I guess sugar wasn't important to the author. No, quite the opposite. Because it was considered unhealthy, it was left out of all the other recipes. So God's recipe for marriage, every single time it's referenced throughout the Bible, it explicitly leaves leaves out the possibility of a same-sex relationship.
1: All right, so let's break down some of these specific things that Matthew Vine says, and you will hear in Progate Theology. Starting with the destruction of Sodom. Um, I know normally when I speak in our church, I give a lot of context. I'm bringing you along the way. Because of the nature of what we're doing today, I'm not going to be able to do that. But I trust that many of you are familiar with the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. And there are these angels that have been sent as human form, as a man, uh, that have been taken in by Lot. And in verse 9 or chapter 19, verse 4 through 9, it says, "Now before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both." Both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the home. They called out to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. So Lot went out to them through the doorway, shut the door behind him, and said, Please, brethren, do not do so wickedly. See now, I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let me bring them out to you, and you may do to them as you wish. Don't you want to be his kids? Only do nothing to these men, since this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. And they said, stand back. Hold my beer. Stand back. They, then they said, this is the one who came in here, and he keeps acting as a judge? He's trying to tell us what's right and wrong? Does that sound like our world a little and now we will deal worse with you than with them so they pressed hard against the man lot and came to and and came near to break down the door so so the traditional view would be that Sodom and Gomorrah and the destruction there was because of homosexuality but there's a new view that this is about uh, inhospitality and it's about rape and those times it's not really about uh you know homosexuality what what is your view So first, the text is very clear that this was the
0: manifestation, the proof of the wickedness of the city. We're going to see how bad it is and the angels show up in human form and and all the men of the city want to gang rape them. So this is the manifestation, this is the proof of how wicked the city is. I mean, that's that's undebatable. Well, what about the passage that, that Matthew Vines quoted from Ezekiel 16, verse 49, that said this was Sodom's sin? Was overfed, self-satisfied, didn't care for the poor, inhospitable, that's the sin of Sodom. Well, the problem is Matthew didn't quote the next verse. He knows what it says, but he didn't quote it. What does it say? It then says, and they acted haughtily and committed an abomination. In other words, this is the abomination that they committed. It's the Hebrew word toevah, which we'll see used in Leviticus 18 and Leviticus 20 in a moment as something detestable in God's sight. Ezekiel, as a priest, is quoting from the priestly language of Leviticus and saying "They this is the culmination of their sin. They committed an abomination, namely homosexual practice became rampant in the city. So Ezekiel actually reinforces the narrative. And what's interesting is you look in the ancient... Greco-Roman culture, America today, as we become more self-satisfied, more carnal, less caring about the poor, more, more decadent than sexual morality, and then homosexuality come to the surface of the society and even get celebrated. It's a sign of our depravity.
1: Yeah, I think it's so interesting that Matthew Vine would quote verse 49, and I think this is important for us to see, without alluding to verse 50. To me, that is a purposeful misconception. Because if you just read verse 49, it's very clear. This was the iniquity of your sister, sister Solomon. She and her daughter had pride, fullness of food, and abundance of idleness. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor needy. So there you have it. Until you read the very next verse that says, and they committed haughty and committed uh, abomination before me. This is what you see a lot with people that are trying to get their view across without being honest about it in my opinion, you're purposely misleading at that point. Uh, Dr. Um, Brown mentioned it, but there's ancient historical documents too, not the Bible, but other historical documents like uh, the testimony of Benjamin and Naphtali and Philo and Josephus that all mention this. There's other places in the New Testament like uh, 2 Peter chapter 2, Jude um, 7, that mention once again what was happening in Sodom. It's not just Ezekiel, but you have to take that other verse with it as well. And so it seems to be pretty clear. This was not um, just in hospitality that was going on but but all right outside of that let's just go to the Moses and the law because there's these scriptures in Moses and the law like in Leviticus 18 and 20 and Deuteronomy 22 that reflect on different LGBTQ issues and and here's the thing about the law because if we're just going by the law we got people in this room that you're breaking the law all over the place some of y'all are about to break the law at mission barbecue when you go get pork for lunch So you're not only a law breaker, you're planning to break the law even more, and and you're wearing mixed fabrics and all these things that you are breaking the law right now, so therefore you're obviously picking and choosing, Dr. Brown, you're picking and choosing which things you get to to keep and which ones you don't. So first in the
0: video, verses are quoted from the New Testament to say, well, the law is done away with. Well, is that what Matthew Vines really believes? Can we now go out and murder? Is that okay? Can we now go out and commit adultery? Is that okay? Can we now go out and worship idols? Is that okay? So obviously those passages do not mean what he's saying they mean. As for picking and choosing, yes, there are laws that God gave to Israel to keep them separate from the nations, like the dietary laws, or like a man having to not shave his beard, the corners of the beard, or like not wearing two kinds of fabrics, or not sowing your field with two kinds of seeds. Those are not based on moral issues. In other words, it's not moral or immoral for a man to have a full beard or partial beard or no beard. Or no hair. Or, or no hair, right.
1: <clears throat> or the world's greatest mustache. That was discussed earlier, too. Yeah,
0: fact, I found out that the youth pastor at your other location, that I'm his mustache mentor.
1: Yeah, Pastor, pastor Johnny's trying to grow his mustache, thanks yeah, like to, to be, Dr. Like, Brown. Be like,
0: be like Dr. Brown, yeah. <laughs> so who knew the influence I was having? It's amazing. So before I was interrupted...
1: Sorry, sorry. That's all right. We have fun in this sir.
0: That's, that's all right. Yeah, we we do not have to go anywhere after this except me to the airport. All right. <laughs> so there are laws that God gave Israel that are not based on eternal moral principles. Like murder is always wrong. Everybody agrees with that, right? But dietary laws, that was to keep Israel separate from the nations. You say, but that's a little problem. How do we know what's what? The Bible tells us. In other words, if it's something wrong for everybody, The Bible will repeat it, and it will tell you it's for everybody. The New Testament will repeat it and reiterate it. Now, Matthew Vine says God's done with the law. Okay, well then on what basis in the Bible is incest wrong? Because most of Leviticus 18 is devoted to prohibiting incestuous relationships. If that no longer applies then where in the Bible does it tell us incest wrong? You see, they kind of dig their own grave with their theology. But Leviticus 18, it's explicit. You get to the end of the chapter, and God tells Moses, tell Israel, tell them not to do these things because this is what the Canaanites did. This is what the other nations did, and it was so evil I judged them. God said that the land vomited them out. In other words, if it's bad for the Canaanites, it's bad for Christians. (laughs) If God tells pagan idol worshipers this is wrong, it's wrong for us as well. You say, but, but but hang on. It's not talking about a loving context of, of two men committed to each other, coming together like this in a regular way. It's not talking about that. Well, hang on. So the man who's committing adultery, as long as he loves the gal he's committing adultery with, it's okay? If you commit a, a sinful act with the same person over and over because you love them, that makes it okay? Of course not. I know some people that love to gossip. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> people love their sin, right? Does that make it right? ALSO, CAN WE TELL A QUICK STORY BECAUSE nice. WE HAVE A LITTLE MORE TIME? Yep. YOU EVER HEAR ABOUT THE THREE GUYS GO ON A PRAYER RETREAT AND and THEY ARE TOGETHER FOR A FEW DAYS AND ONE GUY SAYS, I, I GOT TO CONFESS, I, I, I CAN'T LIVE LIKE THIS ANYMORE, I GOT TO GET IT OUT. I MEAN, WITH THESE GUYS, WE TRUST EACH OTHER. HE SAYS, I'VE STRUGGLED WITH PORN, MAN, I'VE STRUGGLED FOR YEARS, I'M TOO ASHAMED TO TELL ANYBODY. SO PRAY WITH HIM, ENCOURAGE HIM. AND THEN THE OTHER GUY SAYS, Well, NOW THAT YOU'RE TALKING, MAN, I'M CONVICTED TOO. He said, "I." I'm stealing. I steal from my job. I steal from church. I, mean, I feel miserable. It's like, oh, guys, what about you? You have an issue? Because yeah, I, I gossip. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so back to Leviticus 18. The Hebrew word toevah is used, something detestable, abomination. Now sometimes that refers to something that's just culturally detestable, culturally wrong, like. The, the the Egyptians found shepherds to be detestable, right? Or for the Israelites, unclean food was detestable for them. There are other things that are morally detestable, like Proverbs 6. These are the things that God morally detests, like the shedding of innocent blood. Leviticus 18 tells us these are things God morally detests because he judged the Canaanites for them as well.
1: Yeah. Okay, so... We don't want to pick and choose the Old Testament, but obviously we get into the New Testament, and I have heard this argument more than once, that Jesus said nothing about the LGBTQ community. There was nothing negative that he ever said. So, so why do we take this so seriously? Problem number one is the
0: argument from silence to build something like that. Hey, what is the verse where Jesus condemns wife beating? Well, if he doesn't, does it mean it's okay for a husband to beat his wife? Yeah, I was shooting heroin before before I was saved. Show me in the Bible where Jesus said a word about shooting heroin, not a word. For that matter, where did Jesus ever ever deny that Elvis is alive? So the fact that Jesus didn't address something in itself doesn't prove anything. The second thing is, as a first century Jewish rabbi, they didn't need to ask him. Because homosexual practice was universally condemned. In fact, it was even said in ancient in Israel, in Jewish people in Jesus' time, that two men, like you know, they're studying together, they're living together, they can share a bed because we don't have that problem in Israel. That's how much it was condemned. But in point of fact, in three different ways, Jesus does address this. Matthew 5, 17 to 20. He says he didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill. Well, what does that mean? When it comes to sacrifice, offerings, all the the blood rituals in the Old Testament, he fulfills them. He brings them to their fullest meaning by dying on the cross and becoming the once for all sacrifice, right? Then the moral laws, he takes to a higher level. He doesn't do away with them. He takes them to a higher level. You heard don't murder. I tell you don't hate. You heard don't commit adultery. I'm telling you don't commit adultery in the heart. So the moral commandments and and sexual guidelines, he brings to a higher standard. And then in Matthew 15, beginning verse 19, he says, what defiles you is not the food that goes into your body, because that just exits, but what comes out of your heart defiles. And he gives a list, including the word sexual immorality, porneia in the Greek, and it's in the plural, which means all sexual acts committed outside of marriage. Then in Matthew 19, four through six, he tells you what marriage is. One man and one woman joined together for life. That also excludes polygamy, which was never God's ideal. So he tells us what marriage is. He then tells us all sexual acts committed outside of marriage are forbidden, and he takes the moral commandments of the Torah to a higher level. So Moses says no, Jesus says no.
1: Yeah, I find that argument to be interesting. Because anytime you state a truth, it automatically elicits non-truth, that that there's some things that aren't true because the truth is there. If I say that 2 plus 2 is 4, I don't have to tell you 2 plus 2 is not 5, it's not 7, it's not 10, it's not 12. I could go on for eternity of what it's not, but the very fact is that I told you what it is, Now you know what it is. I don't have to sit there and tell you everything. It's not. And in Matthew 19, that's on your screen. Jesus clearly defines what it is. And if he wanted to take some sort of stance, that would have been the moment. But he clearly goes back to the beginning and God's original plan and says, "This is what it is." Therefore, anything that's outside of that, it is not. Does that make sense? All right. So, so Paul and homosexuality. So Jesus, you know, he might have, you know, insinuated some things. But what about Paul and homosexuality? There's three. Verses that got used by our friend Matthew Vines. Uh, let's read the first one right here. This this natural versus unnatural. Romans one twenty six through twenty seven says this. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error that was due. Now, obviously that's not talking about a committed lifelong relationships. It's, 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 it's condemning lustful passions it's not condemning loving passions inside of a marriage isn't that true Dr. Brown because that's what Matthew Vine said on YouTube so let's let's think about
0: this Matthew and I did a mini debate on radio some years ago in fact we found out from his private Facebook group that he agreed to do this radio debate not knowing it was with me and then once he found out it was it was going to do worse damage to back (laughs) out but you'll see he's it's very rare that he's gonna debate someone on these issues in a public way. In, in any case, during the debate, he did not raise one single verse in support of his position, of course, because there are none. And you have to realize Matthew himself, same-sex attracted, did what so many others have done over the years. Because they're conflicted over this, and they pray, and they struggle, and they, and they wrestle, and they're sincere, and they get to a point where rather than interpreting their sexuality through the lens of the Bible, they interpret the Bible through the lens of their sexuality. And this interpretation that Matthew Vines is putting forth, study Romans commentaries written over the centuries from early church on, no one ever came up with this idea until after the sexual revolution. This is now suddenly being projected back on the Bible. So the argument would be that Paul in Romans one is talking about heterosexuals who get so inflamed with lust, God now gives them over to homosexuality. That's the argument, because it's unnatural for a heterosexual to commit homosexual acts. Paul's not talking about your nature, he's talking about nature as God intended it, nature according to creation, nature according to function of how God made men and how God made women in the beginning. If you look in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, and you read Genesis 1 and compare it to Romans 1, there's six or seven different clear points where Paul's going back to Romans 1 at creation. In fact, it reminds me of the story. The famous German evangelist, Reinhard Bonnke, poured out his, his soul for Africa for so many decades. Uh, he would loved to share this story. It was so unusual for him. He got interviewed by a secular publication in, in Germany, and he just wanted to focus on their gospel work in, in Africa, but they wanted to get one of these gotcha moments, so they asked him for his view on homosexuality, and spontaneously he said, look, he said, when you go to the gas station and you take the, the nozzle, he said, you don't put it in the exhaust pipe. So it was, it was just a, the simple.
1: It, it took a minute for a few
0: people. Yeah, yeah. It took a minute. Uh, The simple Reinhardt way of saying it's contrary to the design. It's contrary to the manufacturer's design. The sexual act itself, as much as it joins people together and is pleasurable, is biologically designed for procreation. Whereas two men or two women coming together, as much as they love each other, any sexual act they commit is designed not to procreate. So Paul's saying in Romans 1, this is contrary to God's natural design for man or woman. doesn't matter how loving the relationship. Also ask this question. Was Paul unaware of loving same-sex relations in his day? That they only start in the 20th and 21st century? No. Same thing. You had loving, long-term, committed, same-sex relationships like you do now. You even have Nero who, who, quote, marries one of his male lovers. So Paul's world was very similar to our world, and he here plainly condemned
1: this as contrary to God's natural order. Okay. Now there's these two Greek words, and I know you're a Hebrew scholar, um, but you're very familiar with the Greek as well. I'm going to try to say them right this time. Malikos and arsenikoite. Am I close enough?
0: Yeah, yeah. It's getting I'm getting better, better each service. service.
1: Yeah. If, if we had another five services, I'd have it right, but... But these are found in 1 Corinthians 6 and 1 Timothy 1. Um, and these these words cause debate with certain people. Let's discuss that. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10 says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites. Those are those words. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor d- drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And then Paul's writing to Timothy. And he writes this in uh, chapter 1, verse 9 through 11. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person but for the lawless and insubordinate for the ungodly and for sinners for the unholy and profane for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers for manslayers for fornicators for sodomites there's your word for kidnappers for liars for perjurers and if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine according to the glorious gospel of the blessed god which was committed to my trust all right so these words right here uh, obviously are talking about temple prostitution and paid sex uh, and things like that that Paul is condemning. It's not homosexual committed relationships that he's committing.
0: Right. So obviously when you look at the list, these are just general lists of sins, not just this happens in a temple, you know, adultery, fornication, drunkards, etc. And And this talking about behavior. So here's, here's the short answer. If you look at 50 different English translations from King James till today, you find minor differences, but all saying the same thing, that homosexual acts are forbidden. And the first word, malakos, in itself means something soft. It can mean something delicate. It can talk about you know, soft clothing. But when it's used in a context here of, of, of sins, list of sins, it's referring to what would be the, the passive male partner in a sexual act. That's what it's referring to. The second word, arsenikoites, was either coined by Paul or somebody else in, in his generation. It, it's two Greek words put together as one, based on Leviticus 20.13, of a man lying with a man. That's that's what the Greek means. Because I'm into languages, my PhD was in Near Eastern Languages and Literatures, I have whole walls just of dictionaries, of you know, all the bookcases, dictionaries. So I have every major dictionary of classical Greek, of New Testament Greek, theological dictionaries, encyclopedias, whole walls of them. They've all agreed over the centuries as to arsenokoites in this context, clearly meaning a man who has sex with a man. Here the active partner, which is why there are New Testament translations today that put the two words together to say, men who have sex with men. But here's the good news. There's another verse that follows, verse 11, and that's what some of you were. You used to live like that. You used to behave like that, but now you've been washed and sanctified by the blood of Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, and you are new creations in Christ. So number one, it's talking about behavior and that we repent of. Before I was saved, I was a heroin shooting LSD using rebel. Some of it were sins of the heart. Some of it were act- outward actions. Either way, coming to Jesus meant deny yourself to the core of your being. Turn take up the cross and become a new creation. And then our identity from there on is who I am in Jesus. That's the identity. Don't go by the world's terminology. Don't put, well, I struggle with same-sex attraction. That makes me a gay Christian. No, no, no. No more than this is a gossiping Christian or adulterous Christian. Or, don't put that in front of your name. Your identity is that you're in Jesus as a new creation, which now empowers you to say
1: no to the wrong behaviors. So good. So good. All right, so... We won't take a long time on this one, but there's just all these other stories because I have heard that Jonathan and David were gay lovers, that Ruth and Naomi were lesbians, that eunuchs were gay people in the biblical times, and that Jesus condoned homosexuality because the centurion loved his servant and ran to Jesus for his healing, and Jesus healed him in the faith of the centurion and all that. And so obviously we have gay examples in the Bible too, right? Right. So Jonathan and David. Interesting, I saw a video with
0: Matthew Vines when someone sent me the clip where he didn't even agree Jonathan and David were an example. So it says in the Bible, they embrace, they kiss. Everybody in the Bible embraces and kisses. You know, I I travel to Europe. You get kissed on both cheeks by men, women, just greet one another with a holy kiss. There's not a sexual act attributed to them. There's not language of sexuality. And Jonathan marries and has kids, and David not only has a lot of wives, but he gets in trouble because of his heterosexual lust. Okay? So they're not a gay couple. (laughs) And Ruth and Naomi, where do you get that from? Ruth, married woman, two sons, the sons marry other women, the the sons die, so Ruth is a daughter-in-law, heterosexual daughter-in-law to a heterosexual mother, and then Ruth remarries and has kids. Where do they get it from? Well, in marriage vows, People really like the words of Ruth when she says to a mother-in-law, don't ask me to forsake you. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. So because people use that in a wedding vow today, that makes them lesbians. You really have to feel bad for people that actually think this is an argument. As for eunuchs, this is the argument that in Matthew 19, Jesus talks about people who were born eunuchs, meaning they had no sexual capacity. Well, what did you do if you were a first-century Jewish man You were same-sex attracted, so you're not attracted to women. Well, you just couldn't have a homosexual relationship. That was forbidden. So you just act as if you're not interested. So when Jesus addressed the eunuchs, that there were gay men that would have been included. Well, even if they were included in their minds, he's telling them, you can't marry and you can't have sex. Instead, you're just devoted to God. So that works against their argument. As for the centurion servant, this is, this is really a very perverse argument, and it shows you how far gay theology will go to, to make a point. So the argument is the Greek word peis, which means servant, can sometimes be used as, as a boy toy, as a, as a slave that is taken for sexual purposes. And it does say how much this master loved his slave. So the same Jesus who said to the adulterous woman, the woman caught in adultery, go and sin no more, allegedly heals the slave boy toy so the master can keep abusing him. What a profane, despicable interpretation. Not only that, the Greek word "pice," all through the Greek Old Testament, the Septuagint, and all through the New Testament means one thing and one thing only, servant, 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 servant never has any sexual connotation a single time as gay debaters acknowledged when when I brought that
1: up to them a few years ago. Yeah. All right, I didn't ask you a couple of these questions. One of them got texted to me, so I'm gonna ask. The other one, I'm just going to assume you know, maybe you don't, but how many verses are there in the Bible?
0: How many verses? Uh, You know, I actually actually looked that up recently,
1: but I didn't remember. (laughs) So there's a lot. We'll use the word a lot. Ken, do you know? Because that's something you would know. Okay, there's a lot. How many verses are LGBTQ affirming? Zero. Say that again? Zero. Zero. I think that's kind of important um, because we can say nobody said it's wrong, but you can also say throughout the entirety of the Bible, there's never one LGBTQ affirming
0: scripture. Here's the thing that's really important. Let's look at this at a pastoral level. And maybe you're here and you just wanted to see what these old white bigots had to say. You're older, right? So these, you know, homophobic, you know, right-wing insurrectionists, whatever, white supremacists, whatever, wherever we are these days, right? Okay, so let's just look at this at a pastoral level. God is a very compassionate God. We, we, we preach that, right? You see how compassionate it is when, when you look at the cross. That, that's how compassionate that he is. And certainly through the centuries, through the centuries, God, God saw people struggling with same-sex attraction. It says in John 2, that Jesus knew the hearts of all people, right? Why didn't he just throw them a bone? Just something to say, hey, I know you're out there and I know you're struggling, I'm good with it. Because the alleged verses that say it, don't say it. Why would God put these other verses in the Bible that for 2000 years by the church and the synagogue have all been understood to condemn homosexual practice? Why give every example only of heterosexual marriage and family Wouldn't God want to say, hey, I I want to affirm you in your homosexuality? Here's the bigger thing. God affirms you as a human being created in his image and sent his son Jesus to die for you as if you were the only person on the planet. And if you will turn to him and say, God, I, I recognize I need you. Have mercy on me, on my whole being, I fall short, I'm a sinner, have mercy on you. He will cleanse you, forgive you eternal, give you eternal life and will be more than enough for you every day of your life. That's good news, that's the gospel. Amen, that's
1: good. <laughs> you may have just answered this question but I'm gonna pose it anyway. Uh, I, I've wrote I've a tweet about it once, you wrote a book about it. Can you be gay and Christian? How would you respond to that? If by that you
0: mean, can I struggle with same-sex attraction and still follow Jesus? Of course. How many single people are there that struggle with heterosexual attraction and and you wanna be married, you wanna be sexually active, but you can't? How many others in all kinds of difficulties struggle in other ways, but we say no to that, and by God's grace, we overcome. If we fall short, we're cleansed, and we we keep pushing forward. So can you be same-sex attracted and follow Jesus? You can be a million things and follow Jesus as long as you say no to those things. If by can you be gay and Christian you mean, can I follow Jesus and affirm homosexuality and be in a homosexual relationship? Absolutely, categorically not. If you'll get online, type in my name, Michael Brown, put in quotes, because there's more than one Michael Brown, by the way. Put that in quotes, Michael Brown, and, and then put in quotes, can you be gay and Christian? You'll find a six minute video where I lay out the biblical arguments. You'll find whole messages where I do. You'll find my book. Can You Be Gay and Christian? Debates I've had on it. So Jonathan, O'Town, you don't forget Michael Brown. And then in quotes, Can You Be Gay and Christian? You'll get a bunch of free resources to go deeper. So you have the in-depth understanding, the soundbite understanding. And then above all, remember, we're talking about people. As much as things get wacky in the society and we all see all kinds of crazy things happening, remember people, hurting people. Let's not just get caught up politically and on social issues. Reach out with the love of God, be patient, compassionate, build relationship, show them Jesus,
1: and we will see many, many being changed. Amen. Amen. (laughs) So I told you in part one of this series, um, that there is some verses I wish I could take out of the Bible. I'm just being honest. I have a homosexual brother and homosexual family. I, I don't love every, I know, I know Pastor you know, uh, Brown probably loves every Bible verse. He's memorized the whole Bible, so I'm kidding a little bit, most of it. But there's something, I just, I just wish it wasn't there, just being honest with you. But I don't get to change the Bible to reflect what I want. I change what I want to reflect the Bible. And I think that has to be our attitudes, and it's not beating anybody up. Um, there's a difference between telling somebody they're wrong and showing them how to be right. Telling somebody they're wrong is abuse if you're not going to show them how to be right. Many of you have been on the side of that culture where you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. It's not enough to say somebody's wrong. That's not love. Love is actually showing them how to be right. And we quoted it a second ago, but, but 1 Corinthians 6, 10, and 9, and 10 share those different things that are sins, one of which is the practice of homosexuality. But then verse 11, which I shared in week one, should give us so much hope. Because verse 11 says, and that is what some of you were. Somebody say were. were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. If you struggle with same-sex attraction, it is the same blood of Jesus Christ. It is the same sin that every one of us deal with that will lead you out of it. It doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't make it simple, but honestly, it's not simple for any of us. It might take some struggles. It may take some extra discipleship. It may take years, but you do not have to succumb to same-sex attraction if you don't want to. The blood of Jesus Christ is enough for you. It has been for 2,000 years, and it still is is today stand up with me around the room if you would it still is today and it doesn't matter whether you're talking about homosexual issues or just your own sin God is a healer he is a restorer he is a rebuilder of lives and marriages and the same God that loves the homosexual loves the liar and the cheater and the swindler and the tax evader come on y'all he loves you amidst your sin. And if you're in this place this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this might be the most bizarre message to ever hear this, but God's grace is for you. God's grace, we like to say it this way, God's grace is for everyone and not beyond anyone. Come on, say it with me. God's grace is for everyone and not beyond anyone. I don't care who you are. You can be an LSD, hippie, long-haired rock drummer and God can save you. I don't care. He, he, he could. What is your line from LSD to PhD? <laughs> God has a plan for you, but it starts at the place that you surrender your plan for yourself. You know, the problem with pride is that you don't surrender yourself over to Christ and you can never change.
0: Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, would you consider subscribing and sharing this on all your social platforms? If you are moved by the message and would love to share your testimony, please email it to amen at myarisechurch.com. I pray you leave here feeling encouraged. See you next time.